You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Genesis 33, the last several chapters have been leading up to this, the time in which Jacob and Esau are reconciled. The story has been one in which Jacob has fled from Laban, the one in which Jacob has wrestled with the Lord, the one in which God has been preparing Jacob, that he would trust him even though he doesn't know what the future holds. And then in Genesis 33, there's a wonderful ending to this story within the story of Jacob's life. And really, as we we look at this text, it's simply the meeting that takes place, which is the first half of this section, 1 through 11. Uh, Then what we'll see is the way in which they depart upon their own ways. But hear these words from Holy Scripture. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel, and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times, until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near they and their children and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord and seer. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to seer. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and he built himself a house and made boots for his livestock. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram. And he camped before the city. 
And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. And so we have here the fateful meeting of Jacob and Esau. What started in chapter 27 with Esau selling his birthright and then Jacob tricking his father. Esau then threatens to kill Jacob and so Jacob flees to Haran in chapter 28. And from chapters 29 to 31, this is Jacob's time with Laban, where Laban tricks Jacob. And then finally, Jacob in chapter 31 flees to Canaan. In chapter 32, God has prepared Jacob to meet Esau. And finally, here in chapter 33 is when they finally meet. So it is a substantial section that we are dealing with here. If Jacob is to return to the promised land as the Lord has said, then it would be very inconvenient for him to be murdered upon his arrival there. And so he has to trust in the promise and in the strength of the Lord. Yet as we saw last time in our sermon series, God's answer to Jacob was not to tell him everything would be okay, but to show him and his power but also to show Jacob how he has overcome because he is with the Lord. And here we see Jacob and Esau meeting. But before that happens, Jacob looks up. He sees Esau coming, the 400 men with him. And you can sort of imagine the scene there. It's Esau and 400 men. Jacob is concerned. He knows that the Lord has made these promises to him. He does appear to be trusting in the Lord throughout this time. But I think if you see 400 men and your brother, whom last you heard, was trying to kill you, you can start to understand Jacob's fear. It, in a sense, it, it's not wrong for him to be afraid in this type of situation. And so that is where he then begins to act. He then takes his family and starts separating them into groups. So he has the female servants, Bilhah and Zilpah, their children. Then he takes Leah and her children. And then finally Rachel and Joseph and puts them into what looks like now uh, three different groups with Rachel and Joseph at the back. Thinking again that if they come and, and want to... Uh, really take down Jacob and his family, then maybe Rachel and Joseph can escape. It does seem here that this would not make for very good family politics when this was all over. It seems as if Jacob has placed people in the order in which he loves them. It's really difficult to find any other way than he puts these children and the slave wives and then Leah and finally at the back, Rachel. But in one sense, you can almost feel for him in, in the way in which he needs to divide these, this one camp into multiple camps so that someone will survive, if possible, if things go wrong. And you have to remember back to the beginning of this when he finds himself meeting Laban and meeting Rachel. It was Rachel that he loved. And so Jacob divides all of this, but... In verse 3, there does seem to be a change in the way that Jacob is acting. 
for it is Jacob not at the back, but at the front now. Jacob himself goes in the front. He has sent this great multitude of gifts ahead of him, and now he comes at the front, and he comes seeing his brother, and he bows down seven times. We can kind of understand here that bowing down once would just be a sign of respect, and obviously seven has this idea of completion. It is this number that finds itself repeated throughout the scriptures, and to bow down seven times would be a, a very a way in which he would show forth his humility to his brother. And so here we have Jacob being the one who comes before his family but meets Esau as a humble servant. And at this point, Jacob has bowed down seven times, Esau there standing in front of him, and probably takes Jacob by surprise that Esau runs to him and then grabs him, but instead of it being an, an embrace in which Jacob might be murdered, <laughs> rather he finds Esau hugging him. And they together are weeping, and he is kissing him on his neck. There's this wonderful scene of, of reconciliation here as these two brothers who have been estranged for 20 years, they are now here together as brothers once again. And it's this just beautiful picture that they have been reconciled at this point or the differences or the things in which Esau had sought to do now 20 years later, possibly quite wiser and looks to be a lot wealthier. He doesn't find his uh, hatred for Jacob to be there anymore. And also the way in which this has been handled for Jacob, if he knew the end of the story, there would have been nothing for him to worry about, would there? And in many ways, I find this happens throughout my life is that the anxiety I have over a situation rises to seemingly the levels it does where Jacob doesn't know what is going to happen and that in the end, the Lord has provided and come through. And here we have that situation where in some sense, it seems as if Jacob could have taken more time to, to rest and be at peace possibly through this. But then Esau then looks up and sees this great multitude behind Jacob and says to him, who are these that are with you? And you remember Jacob had fled with nothing but a staff and maybe a few small provisions. That was the last that Jacob, sorry, that Esau had seen of Jacob. That was the last he had seen of his brother. And now 20 years later, his brother returns and there's this whole host. There's this large camp that is large enough to be subdivided into two at least. And Esau just asks, who are these? And again, noting the difference in Jacob. Jacob doesn't say, this is what I have done at my own work. This is what I have gained on my own through my own striving and cunning. He simply tells Esau that this, these children are whom God has graciously given your servant. And then they come near to, as well, bow down in front of Esau. And so here, Jacob is attributing all of this in its proper place. He is telling Esau exactly how this transformation had taken place, that it was because the Lord was gracious to him. This is what the Lord promised him as he fled from Canaan to Haram, and he meets God in that great vision 
and that great staircase with the angels coming up and down upon it, the Lord promises that he will bless Jacob. He will be with Jacob, and he will help Jacob to return back to his homeland once again. And here Jacob just simply confesses that all you see the Lord has done and been gracious to me. Then Esau asks, what did you mean by all this company that I met? You'll remember in the last chapter, that's where uh, Jacob had sent these uh, gifts one after another in varying degrees in a sense to sort of overwhelm his brother with kindness. And Jacob responds, I was hoping to find favor in the sight of my Lord. And Esau clearly has become a wealthy man seeing this great gift, which it is a massive gift to be giving. He says, I have enough, keep it. He responds to this gift by saying, it's okay, I, I, don't, I don't need this. It seems as if Esau is a different man here uh, with all of this wealth, seeing his brother is what is bringing him joy. He doesn't need all of these gifts, but Jacob responds to him, no, please keep this. If I have found favor, then please accept my gift. He says, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Likely here what Jacob is just alluding to is the earlier time in which he saw the face of God, this wrestling match that took place in the night as the sun comes up. Jacob then is reminded or he, he confesses that I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. I have seen now Esau face to face and my life has been delivered. You have dealt graciously with me just as God has been gracious to me. And so Jacob continues to urge him to take it and Esau does. Jacob says, please accept my blessing. It's almost as if the, the blessing that he took from Esau is at least monetarily being returned to him. And it does seem that is the, the ultimate difference between Jacob and Esau. And the reason we get that, that note by the narrator that Moses puts there that Jacob, sorry, that Esau despised his birthright. It seems as if you read through the, the, the pages there that what Esau is concerned about is that he would have all this earthly wealth. He would have all this great blessing as the firstborn that he would get all the property from his father. Whereas it seems Jacob understands or at least began to understand that this blessing, this birthright, that there was something greater to it. And I wonder if, if here as he's returning all of this material wealth, if it, if it were returning it to Esau, it's a further reminder that the Lord is with him. And so he urges him and Esau takes it. And it's here that the, the reconciliation, the gifts have been given. Now Esau then in chapter, in verse 12 to the end, he tells Jacob, come back with me. Let us go back to Seir. Let's go back to my land. He looks at his brother and wants to continue really this relationship to be with his brother once again. And this is where it starts to get interesting with the way in which Jacob responds. Because first Esau asks him to return and Jacob seems to indicate that he will intend to return with Esau. 
So first Esau says, let us journey. I will go on ahead of you. But Jacob responds to him by saying, well, look, the, the children are frail. The, the flocks are frail. If we drive them too hard, they might die. They've already had a, a, a fairly long journey already. And so it seems here that what Jacob is saying is not necessarily a lie, that it could very well be the truth that he can't drive this great camp at such great speed. But it's clear that there's an ulterior motive to it. Much like with his mother, when she speaks of, of sending him off to Haran to find a wife, her ulterior motive behind that is to protect her son from being murdered by her other son. And here it seems he is, is telling something truthful, but behind the scenes, he seems to have no intention to actually go to the land of Seir. And so... Esau continues, let me leave some of my people with you. And Jacob says, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. And you'll note in verse 14, this is where Jacob says, let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. It's that last bit of that sentence there, until I come and meet you in Seir. Up to that point, you could assume Jacob might just be being coy. He doesn't seem to have any intention of heading to Seir. The Lord has called him to Canaan. And so it does seem as if here Jacob is reverting back to some of his deceptive techniques. It's hard to find any way to spin Jacob saying, I will meet you in Seir, where he clearly has no intention of going that way. But it also is a bit problematic in that the Lord has commanded him to return to Canaan. He is not supposed to go to Seir. He's not supposed to go there and dwell and, and build a permanent residence there. He is supposed to go to the land of promise. He's supposed to go to his homeland. And so Jacob does. He journeys first to Succoth. And there he builds a house and makes booths for his livestock. It seems as if he finds a, a place to stop and to rest and to regroup. And then finally, verse 18, which is the culmination of these great promises that the Lord has made to him. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. The word safely there comes from the same word as uh, shalom, or the ending of Jerusalem, shalem, of peace. He came in peace to the city of Shechem. It's a wonderful way of, of seeing the, the culmination of this story. The Lord had promised that Jacob would return. And here we see that the Lord has fulfilled his promise. Genesis could be summarized simply as the Lord promises and the Lord fulfills. Each of the patriarchs can attest to the way in which the Lord has made a promise to them and he has brought forth that fulfillment. And here Jacob now comes to this land, comes back to the land of Canaan, what had been a 20-year long journey through ups and downs. And he, he now has four wives. He has 12 children. He has a, a great amount of wealth. The Lord has clearly blessed him and been with him every step of the way. And here we're simply just reminded of the way in which the Lord cares for us and leads us and guides us. And, and we know that this, this land of, of Canaan is but a dim picture of the heavenly and eternal city. This is the, the land that, that 
Abraham longed to see, looking past Canaan to what the Lord would ultimately be doing. And the Lord will be bringing us safely to that city. He is the God who promises and the God who fulfills. And as you, you look at the story, the, the grand or the great theme of it all is simply that it is the God who promises and the God who fulfills. And all throughout the story of Jacob, we have seen that God has reminded him time and again that he, <clears throat> that he is the God excuse me, who is able to do these things. He's the God who is able to do this. He is able to be with Jacob. He is able to bless Jacob. He is able to keep Jacob safe. And he is the God who fulfills all of these promises. But you do have this, this smaller theme of just the reconciliation of the brothers that is particularly moving. It seems as if this way in which this reconciliation takes place may be in some ways alluded to by Jesus. I alluded to by Jesus in the great parable of the prodigal son. The way in which the son, the way in which the father responds to the son seems in many ways like Esau responding to Jacob. That he runs out to meet his son, he falls upon him and kisses him. That there's this wonderful view of reconciliation that is taking place here. That God is, is bringing these two brothers back together. It unfortunately wouldn't last in the life of Israel. Edom would actually become one of the primary enemies of God's people and be the subject of God's wrath. But it really wasn't supposed to be that way if it were. Edom should have found salvation and life inside Israel. Esau should have come under Jacob in order to find all of these great blessings that transcend the, the earthly blessings. But we see as we come into the New Testament, the way in which the gospel is going forth. There are hints of it in the Old Testament. A Moabite can become a true Israelite. The story of Ruth is this wonderful story of someone outside of God's people becoming a part of God's people. There are hints of it throughout the Old Testament. But it's really in the New Testament that we see from the Gospels into the book of Acts, how the Gospel is going forth and, and building this great new family from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That Paul will speak about it. This was a former Jewish Pharisee about how Jews and Gentiles no longer have this dividing wall of hostility between them. That they are equal in the eyes of God. That while this theme of reconciliation may be a, a minor theme in this passage, it's one that just seems to me to come to the surface to see the ways in which not only is God reconciling us to him, which is what he's done in the life of Jacob. He has made a way for Jacob to be with him. He has brought blessing upon Jacob, but he's also then brought this reconciliation between him and Esau. And you really think of the way in which once the, the, the father reconciles us to himself through Jesus Christ, the way in which we then go and, and reconcile one to another. That this wonderful theme of, of Jacob and Esau being reunited should be played out on the stage of, of the church throughout the world. Of brothers and sisters living in harmony in great blessing with one another. As you think about it, as a, as a church, our, our biggest problem will always be that there are people in it. 
It'll always be a, a problem of, of interpersonal relationships. It'll be these problems that will arise because we're all sinners dwelling together. And yet the, the solution to that is seeing the way in which we are reconciled to God and then brought into one body together. And just think of the way in which we take communion to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, but the way in which communion then also shows that we are gathered together, one in Christ. And so it becomes a, a beautiful picture of the way in which the Lord is at work in our lives, but also in the lives of others. Well, as I said, I think it is a minor theme, but it is one that brings great encouragement and hope. Because yes, as we ultimately see, this text is a, a, a way in which we see the Lord at work. Jacob has arrived because God has ordained it. God has fulfilled his promise that he said. And Jacob as well made a promise. He vowed to the Lord that the Lord would be his God if he brought him back safely. And so not only do we see Jacob arriving safely, but then we see that he buys a piece of land and erects an altar and calls it El, Elohi, Israel. And here he is just simply saying God, the God of Israel. And he doesn't mean the future nation of Israel. He means the way in which his name was changed, that this is God, the God, my God. And he erects this altar here and he sacrifices. And Jacob really is fulfilling that vow. And so we have here at the end of this long journey in which he is brought safely home, what does Jacob do? He worships. After all of the, the ups and downs, after the wrestling match in the night of the hugging with a brother, he didn't know how this would turn out. He is safely here and he returns to God in worship. And it's a wonderful way. This isn't the end of Jacob's story. We have two more chapters to deal primarily with him. But here we do see a very imperfect man. It's hard to figure out why he didn't go to Seir. But it's easy to see Jacob as imperfect. But we see here a man who is blessed by the Lord, who knows the Lord. The Lord is with him. And his response to all of that is worship. So let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co.